guys, it's Savvy Sabs, and I have a special guest with me today. His name is Jonathan Allen, and he is the co-founder and director of philanthropy for the Leadership Brainery, and he ran for Boston City Council. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Sabrina, and everybody else that's watching. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this dialogue for us to dive in and, and continue to get to know each other as well. Awesome. So Jonathan, before we get started talking about entrepreneurship, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background? I can. It's, I'm going to say it as condensed as I possibly can. I, I like to start by telling people I'm originally from the South. I was born in Texas and moved to Louisiana when I was in high school with my father and my brother. And I grew up as a childhood preacher. At 11 years old, I started preaching. I was licensed at 14 and ordained at 20. And so I have a background that's enriched in my faith community, um, as well as in civic engagement. Um, I was in earlier, went to Grambling State University for undergrad. And so that's where I did my undergraduate studies, which is a historically black college university in North Louisiana, was really involved as a student leader there, a student, student body president at Grambling. And so early on, I've been always engaged in my communities trying to figure out how do we come up with solutions to our most pressing problems? How do we mobilize us across our differences? And how do we stay uplifted and inspired to keep going when the going gets tough? Um, so that's kind of the DNA of my fabric. Um, I did my theological studies um, at Southern Methodist University in Dallas before um, getting my JD at BU School of Law. And so um, between business and theology and faith and, and law and politics, just a weaving of, of all of them. All right. So Jonathan, I have to ask, so you went to Grambling State. What was it like coming from a historically Black college and then going to Boston University? Very different, very different. Uh, Grambling, again, it's an HBCU. So most of the students at Grambling were Black. And then to go to BU and that be the flip opposite um, is a jarring experience, um, a really, really grounding experience for me too. And even as I take time to reflect on it, as you ask the question, it's one that is unfortunate because people should not um, have kind of um, these experiences in life where they get stuck on one end or the other. So many people don't get the opportunity to go from an HBCU to a PWI or PWI to an HBCU. And so it's so unfortunate. There are many people who lack kind of this exposure to, um, to the diversity of this world in particular. Um, for me, it was also jarring because I got to BU and there were certain safety nets or support systems that were not in place as they were even at Grambling. And so I think likewise though, there were certain resources um, at Grambling that I didn't get that I got at BU. Um, and so I really um, think that for me, it really took the cover off, so to speak, of inequity um, and, and inequality um, in this country, um, the lack of resource um, or the um, disproportionate resource allocation um, that we experience here. 
Um, it is in particular, I can't talk about going to BU without talking about living in Boston, which was a totally different experience um, for me coming from the South, someone who's lived in the South all my life. Though I've had the opportunity and privilege to travel um, different places, um, I still was not necessarily anticipating Boston to be what Boston was, which is a very um, a tribal, so to speak, kind of community. It is kind of, it's a tough cookie to crack, uh, some would say, um, or egg to crack at times. And particularly if you think about um, tapping into resources, tapping into the professional scene, tapping into political power, it is um, a very, very different place to do that. And I mean, and we'll talk in, I'm sure at some point about what influenced me to run for office, um, but definitely it was some of those experiences of feeling like an outsider um, that really forced me um, to try and take claim of my voice and take claim of my presence here in a community where I didn't always feel embraced and appreciated. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand. I do feel like out of all the places I've lived, I felt like Boston has been the toughest. Um, I think that coming here as a transplant, it takes a couple of years. Like, wouldn't you say like a couple of years before you yeah. really, you know, start to find like your networks and, and your place and trying to figure out like where you fit here? Yeah, I would definitely agree. It takes a few years, if not more than a few um, to really get cemented in because I think what's interesting um, about, about Boston, it is also what we would call the education mecca. Um, and there are many people who come to Boston by way of their academic pursuits. And that's very special to Boston because we have some of the most prestigious and well-resourced um, academic institutions than hardly anywhere else in the country or the world for that matter, right here in our own backyard. And with that draws a diverse and extraordinary pool of individuals from all over the world to study and live and learn here and then try and tap into opportunity here, um, which you know we often talk about the need to retain talent, diverse talent in Boston and how that can be very challenging at times. And it's for some of those factors, not, notwithstanding the weather, uh, which can contribute up to one's experience here as well. But there's plenteous opportunity in Boston. And I think we have much work to continue doing um, to making sure that, that at that opportunity is accessible um, to people who, um, regardless if they've been here a long time or not, um, who come from diverse backgrounds and experiences. Agree. So you co-founded the Leadership Granary. Can you tell everyone, like, why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And can you tell them what Leadership Granary is about? Yes, I think that um, in you know, in part, our experience with leadership brainaries began way back when we were at Grambling after you know, my time as SGA president, Derek, my co-founder and partner, uh, was also at Grambling and leading our student relations. We started getting calls from student leaders around the country asking us, how are we getting so much done um, on our campuses? How are we working so well within our teams and, and working so well with the administration? And so we started providing trainings, um, leadership development to student organizations at various colleges and universities on how to get things done 
and how to leverage and, and work well in teams and how to politic and navigate the, the infrastructure of academia. And if you are dealing with a state school, then you're also factoring in kind of the local politics of that state as well as it relates to how that university is ran and what resources that university has as it was with Grambling. And so we had that experience before we went on to going to our respective graduate schools. And I went on off to BU and was one of four black men out of 200, nearly 250 students um, who entered my cohort that year in 2016. And Derek had similar experiences in his graduate program. And that is what really um, caused us to start asking the question, wait, why are there not more diverse and first generation folk in these competitive postgraduate um, programs? We asked the question to admissions and admissions officers from different programs began to say, well, we can't find enough qualified diverse applicants. And we said, well, wait, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, because first of all, we, we've had the opportunity to come from diverse backgrounds. We've worked with and consulted numerous student organizations filled with diverse student leaders. This idea that you can't find diverse talent uh, must be bred out of either a lack of intent and desire to truly do so, um, or a lack of exposure to the various networks that would allow you to tap into this talent. And so we decided to transform what we were doing from consulting to a nonprofit organization and developed our three-year cohort model. So Leadership Brainery has an, an ambassador program that's three years long. We select rising sophomores in college. And for three years, their sophomore, junior, and senior year, uh, we expose them to professionals across various industries. We connect them with test prep material and admissions coaches to help them navigate um, the admissions process into postgraduate school and pr provide them resources that can help them along that journey, um, all with the goal of pipelining them into professional um, and graduate schools that will give them access to higher wage careers and giving them a network that would also support them along the way. Um, we also have an online platform called LB Connect um, that centers academic recruiters and students and employers and gives kind of this opportunity for us to synergize our community in an online um, capacity, certainly as COVID-19 has pushed us to do so. Um, I love entrepreneurship because of the creativity um, that we are able to pour into our work, the, um, the ingenuity and the innovation that we're able to bring to it. Um, it's not easy, it's challenging for sure mm -hmm. um, to start something from scratch and then have to kind of discipline yourself um, to adhere to benchmarks and to not give up when the going gets tough because the going does get tough and you have to continue to hang in there. And so those are some of the challenges of being an entrepreneur, um, but certainly to have the opportunity to create something and see it come to life and see a community mobilize around it because they care about what you care about is absolutely inspiring, encouraging, motivating, and life-changing, I'll say. Agreed. Um, the leadership piece is, is really important uh, to me, particularly because yeah. one of the things that I saw over the years is students were graduating from college and they're interviewing and applying for jobs and they can meet every check mark in the job like requirement, but they're missing the leadership skills. They're missing that yeah. piece and that can cause them not to get the job. 
Yeah, and that's so important. And, and so many students are, you know, kind of caught between what they would call a hard, a rock and a hard place, trying to figure out what do I put my time and energy into while mm -hmm. I'm in college? You know, do I stay focused on the studies or do I get involved in extracurriculars? And I know that a lot of times that can be a tough decision to make depending on your competencies, depending on your skills, depending on what sets, skill sets you come in to college with in the first place. You know, I like to share sometimes how you know, my father didn't have um, the, 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 the necessary support systems to prepare him around reading. And he went to adult literacy classes even after grade school. Um, so even when he was an adult, had children, he still had difficulty reading because he didn't have those support systems. I'm proud of him today for sure for now being able to read much better and have dedicated himself to bettering himself. But that circumstance is not unlike so many young people in our country um, who come into these academic spaces with, with challenges and oftentimes challenges that are not because of their own fault, but because they also had K through 12 um, differing resources that didn't, were not always adequate. And that certainly was the case that really reminds me why it's so important that we continue to invest in the leadership capacity of our young people, um, that no matter what challenges they may have, they can tap into resources, be resourceful, that can help make them better, that can help enrich them significantly. I mean, that's why leadership, no matter what your GPA is, no matter what the test score is that you get, that leadership capacity can help take you to places um, that you've never seen before, never heard before, never even thought of before, um, because it is something that I think is most rare. Um, most people um, would not classify themselves as leaders. And so for us to spend time investing in our leadership capacity, I think can do leaps and bounds for us. And yes, we'll always kind of run up against these systemic qualifications and criteria, um, such as GPAs and test scores and so forth. Um, but as you say, Sabrina, that leadership capacity um, can do something for you um, that, that, that really helps show who you really are despite those um, what we would call objective standards. Agree. Um, so in the very beginning, when you were starting, you decided, all right, I'm going to do this. You're starting a leadership brainery. What were some of the challenges that you faced in the beginning? Some of the challenges we faced. Um, one, we don't come from wealthy backgrounds. Um, so we didn't have a safety net. We didn't have fi financial safety nets and um, resources to really ensure that you know, we could just start the business and take off. There's so many people that we realize who do, who do have those kind of um, advantages that they're able to just, their, their mother, father, family has um, $100,000 that they can just easily give to them and they just start off and everything's great. Um, we didn't have that. So that was a challenge. Um, we did have um, resources like mentors and our professors that we were able to leverage um, into their networks. We had at BU, for example, the Build Lab, which is the innovation center at, at BU, which was a huge resource for us. We gave us the opportunity to test our idea and do pitch competitions, which allowed us to really evaluate what our model was and what we really were saying our mission was and get feedback from professionals and that that was a huge resource for us. Um, we, we have been very fortunate to build a community and network over the years with 
like-minded individuals who are our peers and who are senior to us even, um, and people who are even younger than us, um, who we are able to really leverage and mobilize around our mission. And so I would say the community has been one of the biggest assets to Leadership Brain's growth and progress um, as to date for sure. Um, but certainly I'll also add in terms of challenges, Derek and I are two black um, gay men and that has its challenges when we think about the intersections of our identity in that way when mobilizing support around us as black people um, then and mobilizing having to communicate with people who have biases racial biases mm -hmm. um, and then as gay people who then have to deal with people who have um, biases toward people based on their sexual identities and so those are some of the things we've had to navigate and continue to navigate to this day um, as we build leadership brainery. But, you know, we won't take our hand off the plow and we won't give up and we'll keep going, and which is really important. And it's, it's the kind of um, tenacity that we instill and resiliency that we try to continue to instill in our young people that engage with leadership brainery and the many professionals as well. Yeah, I know like one of the things you mentioned was, you know, you had mentors. Um, I think it's really important that you mentioned that you utilize the resources that you had around you at, at BU. I think that's very important because oftentimes I hear people say, oh, I want to start a business. I would love to start a business, but they go outside. They, they mm -hmm. look externally instead of looking internally first. So I think it's it's very it's great that you said so that important. to people to always start on the inside first with yeah. what you have like who you connected with already because oftentimes you have what you need so often you know we we go everywhere else looking for it everywhere else but the reality is everybody what you need it starts with you. It starts right there with the people, the community, the relationships that you've been building since you were born. There are people who have cared about you, who've loved on you and nurtured you. No, all of them may not have entrepreneur experience. All of them may not have expertise in the area that you do or seek to, to grow in, but they have something that can be beneficial, whether they know somebody who has that expertise or they know someone who cares about the issue that you care about um, or whether or not they're going to be the ones that's going to invest in you financially and say I just believe in you I know nothing about what you're doing but I care about you and I care about what you're doing enough um, to invest and support you so whatever that is even sometimes if it's encouraging words that are really important in that in those beginning phases of, of building and conceiving an idea and bringing it to life to have people in your corner who tell you to jump, just go, just do it, um, is so important. So many people are living on dreams. They're living on um, one day I will, and one day I'm going to get to doing this. And then you turn 50 years old and you're still one day. In. And, and you, so this idea to just go for it, sometimes some of your, um, your closest individuals are the ones that are going to give you that push. Absolutely. So I know that you you ran for city council. I know like you're very involved in the community. Can you tell everyone why you decided to run for office? Yes. So for me, as I was saying a little earlier, Boston has has been good to me and it, had, it really has. I've learned so much since I've been here. I was one of those people who got here and I was in law school when I first got here 
and I didn't restrict myself to the law tower. That's what we call uh, the law school at BU. I didn't restrict myself to the law tower. I was someone that got very active in different professional networks and I tried to meet different people in different spaces, not just in the legal space, but in different spaces. And if I had more time, I would have gotten even, I would get even more involved in so many other things, but there's only so much we can do with our human capacities. And we definitely should prioritize taking care of ourselves. Um, but for me, um, I noticed that in my community, I live in Austin and Brighton, I live in Brighton in particular, in the Oak Square area. Austin Brighton is home to some, one of the most diverse communities, particularly by way of age. We have some of the most young people that live in our district, and that's because we have many of our colleges and universities that are just neighboring and bordering um, the, the area from BU and BC and Harvard, and many of the students that attend so many other colleges and universities in Boston who live over there because it's where all the students live, and, and rent may be um, sometimes cheaper, but I argue against that because um, obviously we have um, a very, I think, high um, rent um, price point in, in Austin Brighton, which is one of the issues that, you know, I discussed in my campaign. I ran for office because I believe that people um, who lack resources and opportunities typically lack information. And that is important for us to figure out more innovative ways to have solutions by way of giving people greater access to information. Information and justice is what it's called. And I, I understood that in Austin Brighton with there being so many young people in our district, the fact that we never have had a person of color represent Austin Brighton, neither have we've had anybody um, that's in my age group or, or younger represent our district, given that we have so many young people that live in the district, I thought that was a shame. And, and given the real, I think, closed nature of Boston politics, I thought that it was important that um, I take a, a risk um, to, to make sure that a voice was heard and represented in the race that I knew wasn't going to be represented. And, and so that's why I ran. I, I ran to raise awareness. I, I, I ran to center the voices of people who come from the first and first generation backgrounds, people whose families haven't gone to college, people who don't come from wealth, people who struggle with their identities in, in many different ways. I, I ran to represent the folk in Fidelis way um, who often get left out of the politics, who told me that they hardly ever have po politicians come and knock on their, do their doors when they're running for office. And that's because clearly the infrastructure has accepted that those people don't count and their votes don't matter. Um, so I ran to raise awareness around those things. I ran so that they understood who their city council, what the city council was in the first place. There were too many people that I met who didn't even know what the city council was. So I ran to raise awareness around that. We, we created community cards that had on them information about what is the city council. We broke it down for them. We had information about resources they can access within our local community. Um, from library resources to local community centers, and even went and created relationships with different businesses and brokered discounts um, that we then offered to the community free of charge via the community card. So in large part, my campaign around being better together uh, was an information campaign. It was an awareness campaign, and it brought more people into the, the, to the ballot box. Uh, we were able to help expand the, the electorate. Um, 
through the campaign. And if not just my campaign, but so many other people who ran in that race, uh, that was one of the most engaged elections that we've had in Austin Brighton in a long time. The most people who had ran, about seven of us, ran that year, um, which was extraordinary. Um, and so I'm very proud to have been a part. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm very excited that there's more, more young people getting involved in running for office. Um, yes. Love seeing that. Crucial. Love to get the youth, the youth out. We have to because young people need to know that your voice matter. You need to know that it's so important and that without your voice, we have um, less equitable laws being created. And, and with your voice, they become more equitable. They become more innovative and creative. And that's how we come up with the most best solutions to our most pressing problems. Innovation, creativity, um, unity, uh, and diversity. And so I think that young people, we really, really have to stop waiting our quote unquote turn in time and know that it's now and know that you're already brilliant, know that you already bring so many incredible and important experiences to the table. And when that is collaborated with, with intergenerational leadership, people from other generations as well, what we can do together is boundless, unbridled. Yeah, good. one thing I will say to, you know, young people watching this right now, first of all, Jonathan, I think you are an inspiration to a lot of people that are gonna see this. Um, but one thing I will say to two young people watching this now is to go off of like what Jonathan said, a lot of times like we'll have an idea and it'll be a great idea, but we kind of like sit back or lean back and say, oh, it'd be great if someone did this or if someone did this one day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that someone, it might be you. <laughs> it's you, it is you, it is likely you um, for sure. Um, because even if I tell people I'm learning now more and more, there are people who are entrepreneurs, I mean, who literally come up with an idea and they pass that idea off to somebody else. They get it started, they build the infrastructure around it, and, so, and a whole nother team begins to take it and run with it. Then you have the people who come up with the idea and, and they're the ones that's going to stay there all 50 years until they die to see it all the way through. You just got to know which one are you. Um, but your ideas are so valuable. And that's why it's so important for you to put your ideas out there. It's so important for you to chase those ideas, go after those ideas, because otherwise they'll die with you in a coffin when the end of your life comes. And what a shame it is to have lived and not gone after your ideas, to have not chased your dreams. Um, go for it. You won't succeed at every idea. And what I mean by succeed, because I do believe success is relative, um, you, you, your, all of your ideas won't manifest in the way that you may have wished that they did. Um, but you rather have tried it than to not have tried it and not know what it could have become, or even if it's really what you're interested in. There are many ideas we may have that at the idea stage, we really think that's what we would like to do. But once you get started, you say, okay, this is really not the way to go. Maybe it should actually be, I should be putting my energy toward doing something else. I told you we started out doing consulting and that has evolved now to a nonprofit that's now with a mission that we didn't really start out with. We didn't start out with a mission of 
of pipelining into postgraduate institutions, but that was birthed out of our experience. So lead with the understanding that even your ideas, um, they are fluid, they're flexible, and they can change and be okay with that because change is good. Indeed. So Jonathan, I have one more question for you. All right. So for anyone that's gonna see this and they're thinking about starting their own business, what advice would you give to them? I think that you should, one, believe in yourself. You should believe in yourself and not allow the bureaucracy and the challenges to start a business um, get in your way. But you should also research and understand the landscape that you're getting into um, so that you can be strategic um, with, with how you set your benchmarks with how you determine where you want to be at what time take your time with that building your business plan so writing is really important to building a business and that's something that all of us don't like to do um, but you do have to take the time to research and write um, but also say build a team around you you no one can do this stuff alone and so it's important that you get some good people in your corner people who align with your values and who believe in your mission people who add value, um, people who have skill sets that you don't have. Um, you need people that are better than you in, in other areas to be a part of your team. Um, but I also say that you have to get in there and you have to do it. Um, the other day, someone was um, telling me that they didn't think that um, planning always was helpful because sometimes people get people's plans get in their way of getting started and getting and getting going and really encouraged us to continue to get in there and learn and know that sometimes the best um, lessons that you learn are by trying. And so I would encourage you at the end of the day um, to not let fear hold you back. Um, and so with some of the advice that I just shared, you know, use that. Um, but by all means, try, do try. So many people, as I mentioned, they die without ever trying um, to start their businesses and know that you can do it. And I'm also telling you, pay really close to, to the IRS and, and many of the, the structures that are in place. Because when you run a, when you start a business, you are now starting something that is regulated by the government. And with that comes so many different steps and loops and deadlines and expectations that you need to adhere to. So compliance, is going to be one of the most important aspects of what it takes to run a successful and healthy business. Compliance, governance, fiscal responsibility, those, those terms and those kinds of systems are going to be, real, be important. So get prepared to build out systems, because if you build out systems to run your business, um, the better that it will be sustainable for the long haul. Agreed. Yes, you do not want the IRS coming for you. <laughs> no. Agreed. No. <laughs> Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, everyone, I'll be sure to put the link to Leadership Brainery in the description below. Jonathan, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for this platform, for what you do. Um, this is the epitome uh, of leadership. So thank you for being a leader in our community. And obviously, this goes out to people more than those here in Boston and in Massachusetts. So thank you for being a national and global leader. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast 
at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.